0: So let's move on with the podcast. This is the NP Business Matters podcast, episode number 34, Getting Paid, Understanding Insurance Terms. Hi, and welcome to the NP Business Matters podcast. I'm your host, Burba C. Phillips, founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Center and the Clinician Business Institute. Since 2007, we've been providing education, resources, and support about the business of being a nurse practitioner. To learn more, please visit npbusiness.com and clinicianbusinessinstitute.com. I'm starting a new series today about getting paid. And today I want to focus on insurance terms that are used universally through third-party payers. We see a lot of confusion about this, a lot of questions about this. What does this mean? Patients don't always understand it. Staff doesn't always understand it. So it's really time that we get some knowledge on this topic so that we can get paid. So let's talk about this and how you can take care of your practice, avoid fraud and compliance issues, and improve your practice finances. Let's start by making sure that we're all on the same page. So third-party payers are the folks that pay you, the provider, on behalf of the patient you are seeing. So this may be an insurance company such as Blue Cross, Blue Shield, or a federal health care program, such as Medicare or Medicaid, or another insurance company, such as through automobile policies. On the other side of this would be direct pay, which in general is the individual, the family, the patient who are paying you directly for the services that you've rendered. And in general, they don't use these terms. So I'm really speaking about the standard terms that are universally accepted in the third-party payer world. And in fact, there's a complete glossary of these terms for you over at healthcare.gov, which I'm going to link to in the show notes and the blog post so that you can find them and utilize them in your practice, because they're really good for helping teach your patients and your staff just what these terms mean. The three terms I'm going to focus on today are the ones that seem to affect us the most, and that is deductibles, co-payments, and co-insurance. Understanding these terms will increase your practice productivity, decrease overhead cost in all sorts of areas, and improve your practice collections. I have said more. once that a business that is not financially viable, and that means you are not bringing in enough money to the practice. If you're not doing that, the practice cannot provide services to anyone and everybody loses out. There's a lot that goes into looking at deductibles, copay and coinsurance, such as verification of coverage, Coding and billing correctly, working up those claims, making sure the statements get out to patients in the end. But I'm not going to focus on that. I really want to make sure that we are looking at the definitions of these terms. We'll be talking about those things in a later podcast. In the meantime, if you are interested in learning more, you can certainly find more about this in the NPBO membership or in any of our courses. Let's start with deductibles because everything starts here. The deductible has to be met before we can even get to copays and coinsurance. So the definition of a deductible is the amount that the individual needs to pay out of pocket before the insurance will kick in. So for example, a person may have a deductible of $1,000 dollars and that health care plan will not pay anything until that deductible is met. And it has to be met in terms of covered health care services. Now, deductibles, they do vary by insurance, and they generally start over at the beginning of the calendar year. Now, there can be some companies that will have maybe a July or a September year or maybe on the anniversary date that the policy was um, purchased. I found out that with my dental insurance, for instance. It starts over on my anniversary date, not at the first of the year. So you'll want to make sure that when you are verifying insurance that this is something that you're finding out. Now, as an example, and I think we should all be aware of this, even though we're toward the middle of the year, but the 2021 deductible for Medicare is $203. And that varies a little bit every year. Generally, it goes up a little bit every year, but occasionally it does go down depending on what Congress is doing with Medicare. Not all of our patients understand that they have that deductible, whether it's Medicare or for another plan. So this is another reason why we need to be educating our patients. There are also a few companies that don't have deductibles, a few plans that don't have deductibles. I don't see that so much in commercial anymore, although there was a time that I did. Mostly where I see no deductibles will be A Medicaid program or something like a workers' comp program and some Medicare Advantage programs will also not have a deductible. To make matters even a little bit more confusing, a deductible may not apply to all services. So, for example, at the beginning of the current public health emergency, COVID testing and screening was not subject to deductibles or even co-pays. That not only included Medicare, Medicaid, but it also included most of the commercial plans. However, that is beginning to change, and so you really need to verify with a a third party payer, what is their current coverage and what is their current policy on things such as this. Now, one of the issues for practices is what do you do when a patient hasn't met their deductible yet? Well, you can simply bill the insurance company for that um, visit but that amount billed is only going to go toward the deductible. And actually, let me correct that. It's not the amount that is billed that goes toward the deductible, but it's the amount of that billed amount that is the allowed amount that goes toward the deductible, and you'll receive nothing. You'll probably get your EOB back that says that the deductible hadn't been met and that the patient's responsibility is X, Y, Z, whatever the allowed amount would be. Now you can then turn around and bill the patient for that amount. However, and this is best practices and true in almost any practice, you're going to find a better collection rate if you have patients pay for services up front. So for example, what I have often seen is when an allowed amount or when a deductible hasn't been met and you're standing in front of a provider, they will tell you, well, you know, your deductible hasn't been met. Yes, of course I know that. Well, your allowed amount for this visit would be XYZ and that's the amount that you owe today. How would you like to pay that? So again, this is something that I've certainly seen as a provider, but also as a patient, and it's perfectly legitimate to do. Now let's look at the co-payment. The co-payment is a fixed amount, and it can be $15, $20, whatever it might be, that I, as a patient, would have to pay out of pocket at the time of service. Now, occasionally, some practices will bill that out. I personally think that that's poor practice to do that, um, to bill the patient later. It's, you know, collect it at the time of service. Now, again, not everybody will have a copay. And again, Medicaid, um, workers' comp, some private insurance companies occasionally will not have one. But that's been changing to more and more people having copays. Now, when we talk about Medicare, Medicare Part B patients, traditional or original Medicare, there is not a copay that needs to be paid at the time of service. However, if somebody has a Medicare Part C, which is also known as a Medicare Advantage plan, they may have a copay and may not. And those co-payments can vary from just a few dollars to much higher. I recall a patient who had one of those plans in that particular company. I don't recall now which company it was. They had decided that I, as a nurse practitioner, was a specialist. And this patient's co-payment was $50 every time she saw me. So I was supposed to collect the majority of my reimbursement from the patient herself. And as a side note here, I'll just say, I'm not so sure that Medicare Advantage plans are good for anybody, particularly for the patients. So, as I mentioned earlier, we saw some companies uh, waiving copays pays for COVID-related uh, testing and treatment, but again, that is changing. So make sure that you are up to date on what those third-party payers, particularly the commercial payers, are doing in terms of COVID, what they're waiving, what they're not waiving. Now let's talk about coinsurance. Coinsurance is the amount of the patient's share that they need to pay after the practice has been paid. So for example, if the practice gets 80% of the allowed amount, that other 20%, needs is coinsurance and needs to come from the patient unless the patient has a uh, secondary plan. So for the practice, we find out what that coinsurance is when we receive from the third party payer, the EOB explanation of benefits or the electronic remittance advice. So when we look at those documents, it'll tell us what we billed out, what was allowed and what the patient's responsibility is. Plus it'll give us a lot of other information if they don't pay those sorts of things. So if the person has a secondary plan, such as in the case of most traditional Medicare beneficiaries, they'll often have something like a Medigap or a supplemental plan. That plan will pick up the 20% so that Medicare beneficiary may not have any other out-of-pocket expenses. Occasionally, we might see a secondary plan that'll pick up 80% of the co-insurance and the patient will still owe another 20% of that uh, co-insurance that is due. So for example... If the amount allowed by Medicare is a hundred dollars, Medicare will pay us $80 or 80%, excuse me, which is $80 and they'll send that to us. That other $20 will come from the secondary payer. But if the secondary payer only will pay 80% of that, we'll receive $16 from them, and then still have to bill the patient for another $4. Now tell me, isn't that crazy making? But that's what it is. And occasionally too, just be aware that there are some patients that will never have a co insurance. But again, you'll have that information on the EOB. So why is it that understanding these terms is so important? Well, for the patient, it certainly helps them understand what their responsibility is. It's something I think all of us have seen. People get very confused about their insurance and what they're supposed to pay and what they're not supposed to pay. And understanding what all these terms mean, it helps them budget for the cost of their own care. And obviously for providers and offices, it it also helps us. It keeps us in compliance. It allows us to collect money that is due for us. One of the things that's important to understand for both patients and providers is when we're contracted with that third party payer, i.e. we have a legal contractual obligation because we've signed on the dotted line, they will tell us what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do. And in almost all cases, we have a contractual obligations to collect co-pays and coinsurance, and deductibles. If we routinely waive co-pays, co-insurance and deductibles, we are out of compliance and we're gonna run into all sorts of legal issues. Again, we have contractual obligations to collect these fees. Patients have contractual obligations to pay these fees. And under federal laws and most state laws, routine waiving of copay will raise the potential for things like the federal anti-kickback statutes and federal false claims acts and other state law billing liabilities. Waiving copays basically can constitute healthcare fraud. And if you listen to the last podcast, you know we don't want to go there. So, when can we waive copays? Because we see this kind of thing all the time. You absolutely can waive copays on occasion for things such as financial hardship. But again, it needs to be occasional and you need to document it. However, you are going to prove that there is financial documentation or, excuse me, financial hardship. Where are you going to document it? Are you going to ask for proof? Those kinds of things. That's a whole nother topic. But if this is an ongoing problem that a patient has financial hardship, and this does often happen, we need to find a different solution. Perhaps it needs to be that we let that patient know about resources to apply for assistance or to talk to somebody about finding a plan that is more affordable to them or something else. Sometimes that even means referring the patient off to a clinic where the care is subsidized and they will not have as much out of pocket expenses. So, if you are routinely waiving copays, take a look at this, make a plan to see where you can help your patient and stop doing it so that one, you're collecting those copays because that's a lot of money that you lose over the year, but two, you wanna stay and most importantly, stay in compliance and in the law. Now, if for some reason you can't collect the copay or the co-insurance, you know, you you send the patient statements, you talk to them and you're just not getting that money, then we need to document that so that it and and be able to show that no, we have tried in good faith to collect that money. The other thing that I think practices need to be particularly aware of around this stuff it's really take a look at your own practice policies and procedures. And we're going to talk about some of that, but it's so important. We teach people how to treat us and how to do business with us. So it's really important that you and your staff are able to convey that information to patients and patients know what to expect. None of us like financial surprises, for instance. So what are some of the best practices that you can take up in your practice? Well, it's always, as I just mentioned, a good idea to take a look, a hard look at your own practice policies and procedures around these issues. What is your procedure when a new patient contacts you and they want to come in to the practice? What are you looking for in terms of insurance verification and letting them know what is expected of them? What kind of a workflow do you have when your existing patient returns for an appointment are you letting them know ahead of time what their balances are due do you have multiple ways for patients to pay you do you have the expectation that they will pay you at the front desk when they show up for their appointment what are you doing about insurance verification and looking at those deductibles, those copays and insurances, are you just trying to look it up on um, your billing platform, or are you actually picking up the phone and calling the insurance company? Are you making sure that you're collecting balances and copays and deductibles at the time of visit? And how well trained is your staff on these issues? Do they know how to talk with the patients? Do they have a script that you've given them so that they're more comfortable in talking respectfully to the patients about money that is due? All practices want a fair and strong financial policy for your patients and for the practice because it protects both parties. And that is so important. And if you are, an NPBO member, you can certainly log into the members portal and have a lot of examples on not only scripts to teach your staff with, but also examples of financial policies and procedures. Educating our patients and our potential patients on the healthcare insurance terms, as well as our policies, is really important. We can have handouts available for them. And better yet, I've often recommended that we just put that information on our website. We can even link out to the HealthcareGov website. But I would definitely let them know that if you have a, co- a co-pay, it is due at the time of service. If you haven't met your deductible, Let's talk about that before you come in, and that balances, outstanding balances are due at the time of service, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So those are the kinds of things that I think are really important when it comes to looking at deductibles, co-payments, and co-insurance. I hope you have found this beneficial to you. And to remember too, that I will have the links to some of these places where you can find the information that you can just put on your website, put into some of your handouts and your policies so that you can educate your patients and your staff and improve your own business practices, making sure that you are staying in compliance. Thank you so much for listening today. I want to invite you to head on over to our blog at npbusiness.com and note the uh, resources that will be available for you on this episode. You can also find all of our previous episodes of the podcast. I want to thank you so much for supporting this podcast by subscribing, by sharing it, and by reading the podcast. It really does help with all those algorithms that are out there so that other practitioners can find this information and utilize it. So again, visit npbusiness.com. I'm Barbara C. Phillips, nurse practitioner and founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the NP Business Matters podcast. Bye-bye now.